Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Orchard's Community Church. Hey, you know how you normally play a big part just by being here, just by showing up. Today, I'm going to ask you to play a really, really big part. If I get too close to the edge of this thing, it's like, whoa, Pastor, <laughs> you're about to fall off stage. You might have noticed we've got some things going on up here, some, some work in progress. We're trying, making the best efforts we can to really uh, offer an optimal worship experience. And so there are some things, the stage that we had to kind of fix and much higher above my pay grade technical wise, but, but I know that's what we're doing. And so if you would be gracious with us, we got some work we're doing out in the lobby as well. So for a few weeks, we're going to look like this and help me if I start to fall off earlier in the nine o'clock service, they put cones up here. They thought that was funny. Like I, I really, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to dive off, but Hey, we watch it. So we're glad you're with us, whether you're sitting here in the room, whether you're joining us online, grab your Bible because we are going to study. Today is a big, big day for us as we wrap up our study through the Gospel of Luke, which is really, really exciting. This has been two and a half years in the making. So if you have your Bible, Luke 24, we're going to do the last three verses, 50 to 53. I will say this, if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have this on the screens, we always do. But if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles and we want you to have one. So there's some white uh, soft cover ESV Bibles back there. They're not study Bibles, but they're pretty good Bibles. They're, they're a great translation. Take one of those. Please, you can have it, read, study during the week. Uh, for the midpoint, the podcast Brent was talking about, we've got opportunities for you to send questions in. And, and so we want you to be able to have your Bibles of the week reading it. Maybe you'll come up with a question. So that'd be great. Anyway, we're excited you're there. This is an incredible event that we're going to see in the text today. And, and it's, it's a miracle where Jesus literally ascends into the heavens. And we're going to see the disciples' reaction to it. And their reaction is going to be way different from the reactions they had had previously. And so this is going to be kind of like what we talked about last week. I think this is evidence of real growth. Because Jesus is leaving, and like he's literally leaving, rising in front of them, and they don't freak out the way that they had. Because if you remember, as you read the gospel accounts, like Jesus would be hanging out with his guys, and Jesus would like split. He'd go pray in the wilderness or whatever like that, and the disciples would wake up and be like, oh, and they'd go find Jesus because they just couldn't stand to be away from him, right? And here they do something radically different, which shows they're not as clueless. They are growing. Actually, what happens is Jesus ascends. He rises into the clouds and they rejoice. They're saying goodbye to him. They're literally waving goodbye and they are joyful instead of being sad. And that is a huge change from what we'd seen. Now, I was thinking about that joy, and I couldn't help but think of some famous country music songs. And country music isn't my number one jam. I like several of them. But, but the song titles in country music are fantastic. They're so phenomenal. You get classics such as this one, country music. You got the gold mine, I got the shaft. That's a, that's a real country music song. Jerry Reed of Smokey and the Bandit fame made this song. Uh, not my all-time favorite. This is my all-time favorite country song right here. You're the reason our kids are ugly. That's... <laughs> That's a real song. Conway Twitty, Loretta Lynn. That's just mean. I don't know how you bounce back from that, right? But, but one of the things that I think country music gets really right, at least in the song titles, is that anguish, that lament over missing someone, right? Everybody's missing someone in a country music song. And, and so you get some titles like this, and this is a pretty good one, I think. How can I miss you if you won't go away? Which... <laughs> 
Scratch might be the opposite <laughs> of what I'm talking about. But that made me think of another really good country music song. Here's this one. I keep missing you, baby, but my aim is getting better, which I think... <laughs> I hope it's sarcastic, because <laughs> otherwise that's just condoning violence, and we're not going to do that in the church. But, but of all the love lost, missing you, sad country songs, I think this one might be the most poignant. When you leave me, baby, can you walk out backwards? So I think you're walking in. No, now that, that is the guy who's going to be missing somebody, right? Saying goodbye is hard. Normally, saying goodbye is a sad thing. I mean, even for you, you know, who don't ugly cry like me, it's, it's kind of a tough deal, right? Now, I will say this. The world we live in, modern technology, things like that have made it easier. It used to be like if somebody said goodbye, like if you had a friend, a loved one, a family member who was going to go on a missionary journey to Africa 100 years ago, you said goodbye and you wouldn't see that person for years, right? If you got lucky, you'd get a letter to him. <laughs> Now, gosh, the way travel is, that person could be in Africa and hop on a plane literally a day and a half, they'd be back here, right? And, and there's other things, social media, Zoom, stuff like that. It just makes it easier. But still, saying goodbye is hard. We miss the people we love hanging out with. Probably nothing harder than saying goodbye to someone when it's our final goodbye, right? Someone we know and love is going to leave this earth. And, and normally, even if those people are Christ followers, we're filled with sorrow. We're filled with sadness at that time. Even though we know it's going to be better for them. We know where they're going to spend eternity. But we just physically miss them, right? And that's why this interaction with Jesus and his disciples really stands out for me. These are guys who were all in. They'd expressed a lot of grief. A lot of sorrow over Jesus' instruction. Because he kept telling them he was going to die on a cross, remember? And every time he'd say it early on, they were like, no, no, Jesus. And they'd freak out. May it never be. And he had to explain, well, I'm going to do it, but the grave won't hold me. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to conquer sin and death. I'm going to be resurrected and appear to you. But they didn't embrace the theology. As we read through the gospel accounts, they're sad. They're skeptical. So this is different. When Jesus makes this announcement today, and when they watch him literally ascend into heaven, we know these guys have matured. Because now, instead of grieving, now instead of showing sorrow, what do they show? Great joy. Well, that was the point all along. I think that's super helpful for us as we think about the entirety of our study in Luke. Because Luke bookends this joy idea really well. He began his gospel account with this message to a bunch of frightened shepherds from an angel messenger. We get this one every year at Christmas. And the angel said to them, fear not, because they were scared. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy that will be for all the people. Jesus coming to be Emmanuel, God with us. That's supposed to produce this joy unimaginable in our lives. And so if we've been in this journey together studying through Luke, if we're in this journey together as Christ followers, I think that's the question for us today. Same as the disciples back in the day. When I think about Christ rising, does that bring joy in my life? Is my life marked by great joy because of what Jesus has done? Because of the plan he has for my life? Do I continually offer God praise for his sovereign plan? Because I believe that's the purpose. If we're here today and we know that Jesus was resurrected and he left to go prepare an eternal home for us, when we think about that ascension, do we worship? Do we rejoice? Now, before we jump into the text, I want to be real clear about the timeline on this passage, really all of Luke 24, because we need to realize the disciples didn't get this even right after Christ was resurrected. 
Okay, this still was a process for them. If you remember, we studied a few weeks ago, right after the resurrection, they were not joyful. They were fearful. They were doubtful. They had not yet grasped the big picture. Luke gets the big picture. We know this in his sequel to the Gospel of Luke. He writes this in the book of Acts in chapter 1, that there's a 40-day period between Christ's resurrection and between his ascension. And so it's in this 40 days these guys matured. And then we actually know there's another 10 days before the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is super important in the history of the church, super important for us as Christ followers. I think I'm going to go on a campaign to make that a bigger day in the church. It should be like Easter. It should be like Christmas. Because that's the day now that the Holy Spirit comes and fills Christ followers. You read the Old Testament, Christ followers did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because of the day of Pentecost, we can today. And so that's a pretty big deal. But that's the timeline we're looking at here, okay? So let's look at this passage, kind of short passage. There's some primary application points. Hope you got an outline as you came in. And the question is, do we worship? Do we rejoice because of this message? Luke 24, starting in verse 50. Luke writes this. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He blesses the disciples. While he blessed them, he parted from them. How did he part from them? And was carried up into heaven. This is a big deal. What did they do? Verse 52. They worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. So if you have your outline, we're going to look at three main points. The first is because the ascension truly marks the completion of Jesus' earthly ministry, that should make us worship. That should make us rejoice. We got to understand, Jesus didn't leave. He didn't ascend because he was taking his ball and going home, right? These people treat me badly. I'm going to have a pity party. It's not that at all. He knew all along what was going to happen. He knew what the Father had sent him to do. This is what he tells his disciples the night before he went to the cross. John chapter 16, verse 28. I came from the Father. I've come into the world. And guess what? Now I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. He knows how this is going to play out. In the next chapter, John 17, 4, he's talking to God again. He says, God, I glorified you on the earth. How? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus accomplished everything that God gave him to do. Do we think about that? Sometimes we have, you know, an athlete we really like or an actor or musician or whatever, and they, they do a great movie or they produce this great album or they have a phenomenal season. And what do we say? They should retire. Right? <laughs> they should go out on top because it's not going to get any better than that. Most of them are motivated by money and they don't retire. They keep going, right? But, but Jesus isn't thinking about that at all. He didn't think, well, I preached a great sermon so I can go. I, I didn't play my best game. He knew exactly what he came to accomplish. And we can know it too, because God's word spells it out really plainly. An angel delivered this message as well. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Mary's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. You ready for his agenda? He will save his people from their sins. That's it. That's why he came. We have a problem in this human race. What? It's our rebellion, right? Our sin that separates us from God. Through Adam and Eve's sin, every person since has this problem of sin, and there's a penalty that comes with it, and we can't fix it. We can't pay the penalty ourselves. We're never going to be good enough or smart enough or strong enough or rich enough or anything. And so what does that make us? Lost. When we talk about our chairs all the time, we're in chair one. We're lost, and we need a Savior because we can't do it on our own. And what did Jesus come to do? Well, we just saw this in Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
That's the plan. God created us and he loves us and he pursues us through his son, Jesus Christ. Why? So that he can save us. That happens the moment we profess faith in him. Because we're professing faith in the work that he accomplished on the cross. That's where he paid the penalty for our sin. That's where he made the way for those who profess faith to be reconciled back into a relationship with him. The relationship he's always wanted to have with his creation. Jesus' life here on this earth was the vehicle that God chose to use to make all that possible. That was Christ's earthly ministry. He did it walking around here on the earth. Now, granted, it looks different, right? Because it's Jesus. He, he arrived on the planet through very unusual circumstances. His mother Mary had never had a physical relationship with a guy, and yet through the power of the Holy Spirit, she became pregnant. She had a baby, and, and that baby was God in human flesh. Member of the Trinity here on the planet. And he lived with Mary and Joseph, but while those were his earthly parents, he lived in total dependence on his heavenly father. He came down and did that for us so we'd have a model of how to live on this earth in dependence to God. And as part of that plan, not as a workaround because somehow something messed up and sin entered the world. No, as plan A, Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross. And his voluntary sacrificial death would pay the penalty for our sin. His bodily resurrection would show that God accepted that payment. That death could not defeat the plan. All that's part of his earthly ministry. That's super important for us because it fulfills a lot of prophecies we see in Scripture. Specifically, Jesus made this one to the Jewish religious leaders who subjected him to that bogus trial. We studied through that. Before they played their part by sentencing him to death on a cross, do you remember what Jesus said? He's basically saying, hey, you guys think you won, right? You guys think if you kill me, it's over. No, Luke 22, 69. From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Here's how we can summarize this. Jesus came to this planet as fully God. He became fully man. He took on human flesh for our salvation. And the fact that he's now ascended onto high to be with the Father, that shows us he accomplished the plan. <laughs> he accomplished his mission on this earth. And when I think about that, it does fill me with great joy. It should make us worship. And that's what the disciples did here. And it was a change for them. They didn't moan and grumble like they had in the past. They actually watched him go away and they worshiped him. Then they went and waited in Jerusalem for the 10 days so that they could go out and begin the mission they had of sharing that message of repentance. And during that time, they rejoiced. They actually thought about the fact, my sin has been forgiven. Reconciliation with God has been accomplished. Of course, they knew the whole story that Jesus is going to come again, usher in this glorious eternity. God's going to receive us to himself. All that news they pondered and it made them worship. With joy. Church, is that what we're doing? It's our first point. Here's our second. Because there's more to the story. Yes, Christ's earthly ministry has been accomplished. But do we think Christ ascended and he's just taking a nap now? No, he's working. He has heavenly ministry that he's doing. It's point number two on your outline. We should worship and rejoice because Christ has commenced his heavenly ministry. That's phase two of the plan. Now, the disciples struggled to understand in phase one. They didn't get all the earthly ministry. I sure don't think they were going to grasp the heavenly ministry, but Jesus still kept pointing to it, right? 
He knew there were things he was going to accomplish in heaven that he wouldn't accomplish here on the earth just because of the limitations of having an earthly body. That kind of drug him down. Now, it never subtracted any from his deity. He was still fully God, but he, he looked like a person, right? When Jesus was born, how was he born? As a little baby. Little babies don't feed themselves. Little babies don't change their own diaper. Jesus could have done that, but he didn't, right? He grew up. You imagine Jesus as a toddler never breaking anything. Jesus as a teenager never breaking curfew. But he did those things. He subjected himself to Mary and Joseph, but he knew that God was his father. And so he had limitations of, of a human body. And that helps us to learn some things. But he was going to heaven to accomplish this earthly ministry. And so right after he goes, he, I think he points to this. He points to it beforehand to the disciples in John chapter 14. And this is a story he told him quite often. He says, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'll come to you. And here's supposed to be our response. He says, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. And the Father is greater than I. They're the same, right? They're part of the Trinity. Why is the Father greater than Jesus? Because the Father doesn't have any bodily limitations. During his earthly ministry, Jesus voluntarily limited himself in dependence to God. People were able to look at Jesus. His complete glory was kind of veiled. He always submitted to the Father's will. That's why we get that famous prayer as he's heading to the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. And so after he accomplished his earthly ministry, what happens? He returns to the Father, and there he is restored to the full glory and power that was his before the foundation of the world, before he came to live in a human body. We know what will happen, but he's really careful to explain it to the disciples, and he's explaining it to us. God's going to send the Holy Spirit so we can join God in this work while we're still on earth. But Jesus is up in heaven in complete glory doing ministry. And I think there's this incredible sense for us that having Jesus, having walked around here on the earth, actually helps us understand God better. I wrestle with that idea of that, uh, the fact that no one can look on God and live, right? You see that in the Old Testament. Nobody's supposed to look on God. And Moses wanted to see God so badly. And do you remember what he did so he could see God? He kind of hid in the cleft of the rock, and then and God passed by. Moses saw the backside of his glory. I don't think the backside is where most glory is. But that's, that's all Moses could see, right? That's the way that they set it up. And I understand that. Got a passing glimpse of God's glory. Jesus walked on this planet and people were able to look at him. People were able to see God. Paul explains it to the church in Colossians this way. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. You want to see God? You can. Look at Jesus. Now, I don't know that people back then, I don't know if the disciples truly got it because he was God, you know, with a bod. They looked at him and he looked just like them, right? But So they probably didn't give him the glory he deserves. I think about this, I guess, as I'm getting older and I think, well, gosh, what's it going to be like when I see Jesus? What's it going to be like when I go to heaven? And I keep coming up with, I'm just going to fall flat on my face. <laughs> like, I don't know that there's any other response. I don't know that there's any other way to do it. I don't know if you thought about that or not. If you watch any of the videos, there's some great ones of military people, servicemen, servicewomen who return from a deployment and, and they, you know, reunited with their spouse, their kids, whatever like that. And those, like, if you don't, you know, I don't have a problem crying ever. I cry at commercials. But if, if you need to cry, watch some of these videos. They're, they'll blow you away. But it's just that incredible response to, to seeing somebody that, that you're just blown away by. 
I want to show just one real quick one because the little kid captures, I think, what I'm going to do. Let's see if we can watch this together. I shouldn't have shown it. (laughs) That's powerful. That's going to be me. I'm positive that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to hit the ground. The apostle John got a brief glimpse of Jesus and his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that? Jesus takes his three closest guys up with him on the mountain, and he's shown in glory. And and it freaks the guys out because, as we know, Peter's like, well, let's just pitch tents and live here forever. You know, (laughs) because the idea of seeing Jesus in that glory was so amazing. But they didn't fall on their face, right, until they heard God's audible voice. Then they hit the ground. (laughs) And I love that Jesus came over and comforted them. It literally says in the text that he went over and touched them. And I think that's such a great picture. When we see John again in Revelation, and this time he's going to get a glimpse of Jesus' glory, but not here on the earth. It's going to be a glimpse of Jesus' glory in heaven. And I want us to note his response, because it wasn't like he got that glimpse and said, oh, hey, Jesus, long time no see you. Great to see you. Hey, let's build a little tiny house and we'll hang out here. He doesn't respond that way at all. This is what he says, Revelation 1, 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I'm the first and the last. I love that Jesus came and touched him just like he did on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think it's so personal. But I think that's what I'm going to do when I see Jesus in heaven. I'm just going to fall at his feet because he's accomplished his earthly ministry. He's gone to do his heavenly ministry, and now he's my advocate. He's sitting up at the right hand of the Father making my case to a God who knows everything about my case, right? He's making my case to the all-knowing, sovereign God, but he's doing it from that unique perspective of having been on the earth. So we can see God in Jesus. He's accomplished his earthly ministry of relationship and reconciliation. And again, I think it's helpful that we can kind of fathom God in human flesh. It's what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Now we can kind of see God better even when we can't really see him. Now here's the the weird part of this. We don't truly need a conduit. We don't need an advocate, right? We can pray directly to God. But I think it's helpful for us to get Jesus, And know that he gets us because of his humanity. And so we have this continual access to God through Jesus. He's sitting up there in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, advocating for us. That's part of his ministry. You ever needed help from someone who was more powerful than you? This is the picture you get. I think of this because my grandfather had an experience like that. My grandfather's the, the most meaningful guy in my life. He was a prisoner of war in World War II for over a year and a half over 500 days. He was forced on the Bataan death march. And, and later in his life, Gramps had legitimate physical issues from the time he spent as a prisoner of war. And, and I don't know how this whole process goes, but he kept applying for disability. He didn't get it. There's a whole lot of red tape. It was a really, really tough deal. And this was years ago before the internet. And so now everybody just gets online. But back then, Gramps did what you can do still today. He wrote a letter to his congressman every day. <laughs> He wrote a zillion letters to a guy named Bill Emerson, who was our congressman back in Missouri. And, and Emerson's office started getting these letters and noticing they were getting one every day. And, and Bill Emerson and my grandfather became friends. 
when Bill Emerson was in town, he met with Gramson. And actually what ended up happening was Emerson went back to Washington, D.C. And he took my grandfather with him. And they walked into the Capitol and went into some room with a bunch of powerful guys. And my grandfather came out with his disability. I'll tell you that right now. What happened? Gramps knew who was in authority. He knew who had the power. And he went with him. And that guy advocated for him, right? I've said this many, many times in life, just like it is in theology. It's not always what you know. It's who you know. That's super, super important for us to understand. It helped my grandfather to know Congressman Bill Emerson. It helps us immensely more as Christ followers to know Jesus. When we know him, we have an advocate. That's what Jesus is doing right now in heaven, advocating for us. Paul explains it this way to the church in Ephesus. He says, for through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit, where? To the Father. That's part of Christ's heavenly ministry is getting us that access to God. And again, we've got it. God hears our prayers just fine. But now we have that connection point through Jesus where we can grasp the relationship more fully because we know he came and accomplished this earthly ministry. So that's at least one part of what Jesus is doing up in heaven. There's other parts as well, right? He's staying busy. One of the things I mentioned that I, I literally, I, I could preach sermons forever on this. I don't know that I'm ever going to wrap my mind around it, but we know that he has gone to prepare a place for us, right? That blows me away. I think about God preparing all this stuff in six days and then taking a rest. I mean, it was easy for him. Jesus has been gone like 2,000 years. Can you imagine how incredible this place is going to be? I think before I see God, just seeing heaven, I may hit my knees. It's going to be that incredible. He's preparing our home for eternity. So he left this earthly ministry to go do heavenly ministry. And I think the biggest part of that is so he could prepare us for what is the third point on our outline. We'll get to that in a second. But we know because of the ascension, what? The day of Pentecost happened. The completion of Christ's earthly ministry allowed for the fulfilling of that prophecy that the Holy Spirit was going to come to God's people. So that part was actually part of Christ's heavenly ministry. Explains it this way in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. He kept telling his guys, I'm going to go away. It's going to be better for you. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... When I complete my earthly ministry, part of my heavenly ministry is I'm going to send him to you. Now, Jesus shared this message a lot. I get it because the clueless disciples didn't get it, right? They struggled so much with this. Praise the Lord, they finally understood. And so as Jesus ascended, they were able to rejoice. They were able to worship. Because they now understand that Christ's heavenly ministry is going to make the way for all Christ followers to join God. Because of the Holy Spirit, now we all have spiritual gifts we're supposed to use in order to build up the body, in order to bring glory to God. So the ascension marks the end of Christ's earthly ministry. It inaugurates his heavenly ministry. And those ministries being fulfilled, as Scripture prophesied, allows all Christ followers to worship and rejoice. Because why? We now have a heavenly ministry. Or pardon me, an earthly ministry. Because of Christ's heavenly ministry. He's given us a task to do. Because we have the Holy Spirit filling us up. Now, I know you've heard me say this so many times before, but this is just practical. When Christ followers profess faith in Christ, we don't immediately get whisked up into heaven. That'd be cool, but it doesn't happen. Why? 
Because we've got work to do here. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to go out in that power and share the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So this all works. This is all part of God's plan. And I love the way the text says it. It's that we're blessed to do ministry. We're blessed to do this ministry on Christ's behalf. In verses 50 and 51, that's what we see Jesus doing. He's blessing the disciples to go and do ministry. I get that picture in my head all the time. You used to take your offering to the temple and the temple priest would then, you know, take the offering and then he'd bless people. I think that's far too small a picture of what that's going to look like. But it's Jesus blessing us. We hear blessing and and it's just window dressing for us. We think, oh, that's nice. But I don't think we really understand the fullness of it. When we hear about a blessing, it's normally like the, the potential groom goes to the potential bride's father and asks for his blessing, right? He's really saying, hey, will you pay for this wedding? That's what <laughs> Let's get on board with this, this idea, right? But, but here's the thing we understand. If that potential groom went to that potential bride's father and asked for the blessing and he said no, they could still get married, right? I think it'd probably be a bad idea, but they could. We got to understand we need Christ's blessing. We have zero chance of accomplishing anything that would bring God glory if we don't have his blessing. That's how important the blessing is. Now, this is tricky because you've probably seen this as well. We see ministries, we see churches where it looks like they're being prosperous. It looks like they're being successful. And I don't think they're actually being blessed by God. I think many of those are going out and trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to make themselves famous. But ultimately, I'll promise you this, God's going to shut those down. Why? They don't have God's blessing. (laughs) see this pretty clearly in Psalm 127. Solomon nails this. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So I think this is pretty practical for us. This is just like I was asking last week. Are are we thirsty for more of God? Do we want his blessing in our life? One of the greatest stories in the Old Testament to me is the story of Jacob in Genesis, Genesis wrestling with God. Do you remember that story? Because it's practical to me, I always think, how easy would it have been for God to just flatten Jacob? And yet he props him up all night. Jacob wrestles with him the whole night. If you remember, he leaves different. He leaves with a limp wrenched in his hip because he's supposed to remember this. But Genesis 32, 26 is where Jacob says to God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What does that blessing mean? means now when we join Christ in ministry, whatever response we get, whatever the proportion of that effort is, it's not going to be because of our abilities or our efforts. It's going to be so much greater than that. It's going to be powered by God. The spiritual impact we have will be much more than we could ever accomplish on our own. Because that blessing. Here at Orchards Community Church, I know I'm preaching this to the staff, our ministry council, we want that blessing. What does that mean? We got to get down and wrestle with God a little bit. Sometimes we don't sign up for that. And I think it's such a beautiful picture here in Luke 24 of Christ blessing his disciples. And after they receive that blessing, what do they do? They worship. That makes sense. Worship is our response to what God has done, to what he's doing. And so when we get blessed, we're supposed to bless God by worshiping him, by praising him. And that worship should actually come even before we join in the work. 
That response of worship should be the thing that makes us go look for the work. It motivates us to engage in the work. And in this passage that closes Luke's gospel, it's, it's actually the first mention in all of Luke, I didn't think about this until I was studying this week, of the disciples worshiping Jesus. This is the first time it's mentioned. Other gospel accounts mentioned it earlier. But, but this is it. Luke mentions these guys get it. And we're going to see in Acts, they do fulfill their mission. They join God in spreading the gospel. But first, they worship. I think that's part of the intended outcome that we see on the outline for us. Christ's ascension should lead us to worship. And then we should engage in ministry. And when we engage in ministry properly, that should lead to joy. Joy is something we hit a bunch in the Gospel of Luke, if you remember this. Probably nowhere more notable than Luke chapter 15 with the parables of all the lost things. Do you remember that? The lost coin, lost sheep, the lost son. At the end of every one of those parables, when the lost thing was found, what'd they do? They threw a party. They celebrated. They rejoiced because the lost thing was found. We're supposed to have that same joy today. Oh my gosh, God has forgiven me of my sins. That should lead to great joy. When we see somebody who's in chair one, they're lost, and they move to chair two, God calls them home. We should have a huge party. Our joy should be multiplied. Do I get more joy out of that? Or, or if the Seahawks win or the Mariners win, I don't answer because I know. I've got that all wrong sometimes. I'm supposed to remember daily that I have been blessed. Why? To participate in ministry for Jesus. The joy bookends all of Luke's gospel. I mentioned that earlier when the shepherds went and saw the baby Jesus, which we study every year at Christmas. Do you remember what they did after the shepherds saw the baby? There was an announcement. It was good news of great joy. This is what happened. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told to them. Their response there is the same as the disciples at the end of Luke. When the disciples see the risen and ascended Jesus, what do they do? They went away literally praising God. Praising God is blessing God. We're blessing God because he has blessed us with the promises from his word. He's blessed us with his son. He's blessed us with a saving relationship. When we stop and think about all those things, what should our natural response be? We should bless him. I get that the blessing comes from him, but we got to turn around and give it back to him. You know how that works? I, I think about this a ton because I'm so blessed. I have four children, and when they were young, they'd get me presents for like my birthday or Christmas or whatever, right? Where'd the money come from? <laughs> you know where the money came from. I gave them money, and they went out and bought me a present, right? But the present was so sweet. Whatever it was, it, it meant so much more to me than if I'd gone out and bought it myself. Why? Because they were involved. I blessed them and they turned around and blessed me. And that blessing was so much more impressive. That's the picture here. God gives us everything. He gives us every blessing in this life. And then when we in worship and enjoy return that blessing to him, what are we doing? We're blessing the God who blesses us. It's just a constant circle. It's supposed to be of worship and joy and ministry. So I want to do something practical. I want to do something intentional as we leave today that, that should help us remember that Christ's ascension is supposed to produce joy, it's supposed to produce worship. Same way it did for the disciples back in Jesus' day because they did that. They worshiped. They rejoiced. They joined God in ministry. Like we need that reminder too because the extent to which we wrestle with God, 
That's the, the thing that's going to help us remember the worship and the joy. When we get in there and fight and say, I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. And that'll make us rush out and tell others about our story. Tell about the wrestling match and God will get the glory. And so he'll place people in our paths to, to do ministry with and he'll be blessed by that effort. So here's what I want us to do. And, and this didn't work the way I thought it was going to work. I'll tell you this. I tried this at the nine o'clock service. I spent five hours in here last night filling up helium balloons because I was going to give everybody a balloon. And then as you walked out today, you're going to take your balloon and you're going to walk outside and let it go. And we tried it at the nine o'clock service and none of the balloons floated. So, so the, and I tested it earlier in the week. I filled them up and they stayed up, but I don't know what guys do it. But I have this one that I filled up right before the service and this bad boy would go if I let it go, I promise you. So, so there are some balloons outside and if they're floating, that's fantastic. And we're going to let this one go here in a second. But, but what I want us to do is just as we watch the balloon rise, take a second and worship. Take a second and rejoice. The balloons were supposed to be part of a you know, party and a celebration for finishing the Gospel of Luke, so you can still go play with the balloons. I don't have a problem with that at all. But they may not rise. This one's gonna. And as we sit and watch it rise, will we at least pause long enough to go, did I wrestle? Did I wrestle with what God has set out for me to do? Do I worship and rejoice because of what God has done? I think sometimes we might get the worship right. Now, I don't see hearts the way God does. But I think we do miss the joy part. I'm supposed to be overjoyed about what God has done. I've been blessed to be part of this church. I've been part of good churches. And, and, and I'm a, I'll raise my hands while I'm worshiping sometimes because I can't sing. Uh, so <laughs> if I could sing, maybe I wouldn't raise my hands. But, but, but I'm blown away by how God is at work in that. Some people don't. I get that. An expression like that's different for different people. But I heard about a church that really had a problem with people expressing worship and joy in music. And so they did. They gave everybody balloons. Helium balloons like this. And they're like, when you feel joy, when you feel worship in the song, just let the balloon go. You don't have to raise your hand. Just let the balloon go. And it was kind of cool, you know. But at the end of the worship service, half the people were still holding on to their balloons. Are we that afraid to rejoice in what God is doing? So I'm going to let this go. And I'm going to be quiet. You worship, you rejoice, however God is leading you. As you leave, there's more balloons. Kick them around. Have a good time. <laughs> this is the picture of the ascension. And that picture led the disciples to worship and rejoice. Amen? I love you guys. Let's pray. Daddy, help me to get it. Help me to not lose sight of the joy that comes from being your child. The fact that you came, set aside the glory and the power that was yours in the heavenly realms to come down and walk this planet in a body. You could be an example for us of complete and total dependence on God. So you go to the cross in my place and pay the wages of my sin knowing that death couldn't defeat you, knowing you'd rise again, knowing you'd ascend back to your Father, and knowing you'd send your Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us, equip us for ministry. If we're here as Christ followers today, we're blessed. God, help us to bless you with our worship, with our joy. Help us to do that here in the valley and across the world. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.